Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome back to another episode of Seek and Strike Podcast, and today we're talking playoffs. It's playoff time this weekend, and we're going to get a recap of the Real Monarchs and look into some other things that kind of happened in the last week in the USL. And with me tonight is my co-host, Chris. Chris, how are you? Hey, I'm doing real great. You said playoffs? What? We're talking playoffs? Yeah, second season and second playoff game we make. Yeah, right on. Finally, man. God, it's been such a long, short season, right? Yeah, it's been a weird one for sure this year. Oh, yeah. So, uh, gosh, like, what are? Uh, so then, to, let's let, let's talk about a couple of things that have kind of come up. So today, or I guess today, we saw some new merch. Yeah. And I wanted to get your reaction. I, I hadn't even talked to you yet about it, but I, I, I saw it and I was like, oh, man, I got to talk to Alicia about this, see what, she, see what her take is. So, <laughs> all right. So David Carl was in the United store and he was talking to Peter and they were kind of teasing some New Jersey. And and I was like, all right, okay, what what's it going to be? What's it going to be, right? Trying to figure it out. And Peter walks through, and then it's like this camouflage jersey that apparently is sponsored by the, uh, was it the U.S. National Guard? Is that what it is? Or Army? I believe so, yes. And so uh, you you can check, maybe check on that. I I thought it was the U.S. um, Armed National Guard is what it was. Yeah, I'm... See if I could check it. Okay. And so while Alicia is looking it up to, to clarify exactly uh, who's who sponsored these 250 new United uh, jerseys that are going to be only sold at Somos Unidos Fest, um, these things come out, they're camouflaged, it's yellow and black, and I wasn't sure what to think. I mean... I kept seeing the teasing of it. I didn't think we were really going to see it. And then all of a sudden, bam, it's like right there on the screen. Uh, Alicia, what what were you you thinking when you saw that New Jersey that that Peter had on in the video? You know, I I actually didn't get to see it. I kind of got a glimpse of it because I was at work at the time. But... From what I saw, it did look pretty cool, but, you know, it kind of sucks that the fest is all the way over there in Santa Fe, and I won't be able to get my hands on it. Yeah, that that is a bummer. I It's a distance. I just sent you a picture of it. Hopefully you get that, and you can kind of fully embrace. Oh, okay. Okay, I see it. I, I, I'm going to be I wanna be candid, right, because I'm not going to be like, yeah. 
I'm not a I'm not really a big camo person. So like when I think when I think camouflage stuff, especially when it's colored camouflage, just this is just my own personal opinion. Um, like I don't know, like I start to think about things like GI Joe and stuff because like it really has like you know like the last camouflage that I really saw was like when it's like it was like light blue and like naval blue camouflage like it's like the, almost like the real stuff that like the troops wear mm-hmm. and i was like oh i don't know like i'm i'm not like a big hunter i'm not a paintballer you know so like i don't know if this is really necessarily gonna be my thing do you know what i mean and i'm not even really one to wear a lot of color in the first place so that's gonna be bright for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah no now that you just sent me the picture and getting a better look at it i actually really like it and i'm not i'm kind of like on the same boat as you where like i like i'm not a big fan of camel but it depends on the color of it that i'll wear it like i'll wear the regular camel but like kind of toned down or i'll wear the the pink camo but this one doesn't really look too bad considering we have like just a plain bright yellow jersey. I think this one kind of suit, suits it better with the black and the brown surrounding it. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, I mean, it, it isn't, I think it's unique. I mean, 250, so definitely like maybe this seems like it was, I mean, it seems like it's like, Hey, this is very limited. We're gonna kind of check it out. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if there's gonna be more, or if, like, if they sell out of these, like, do they go? Oh, okay. Like, our first batch went real well. Let's make some more. Like, this is the, like, it was this the, flat out. This is the third jersey that they were teasing back on. You know the COVID. A little COVID house where it was like, oh, I want to be in house, house D with the New Jersey. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I I wonder if this is the so long-awaited Jersey that everyone is like, oh man, I love it. Like you're gonna you're gonna love it. Like, or you know, or is it not? Or is it like a Jersey that that they made and like there's that we're still we still haven't really seen it because it's I don't know how this fits into how this fits into things. I mean, it. I guess it could, because we have a yellow jersey and we have a black one, but I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm i wondering if it's supposed to be that one. Mm, I hope it's not. It just doesn't seem like it. And when I think of a third kit, it's, it's what it is. It's the alternate kit. It's something way different, completely opposite of what they have. If you take a look at, um, I believe last year, the Barcelona jerseys, they had like the regular blue and the, uh, I forget the other one, but their alternate was like a hyper pink. And like, that's kind of what a third kit should be. And I'm not like the camo and the designs. It has to be a completely different color. Like, Maybe we could pull off a turquoise or um, maybe even a red because of the color of the Zia on the flag. It just it just has to be like that. And I just don't think this is the third kid just yet. 
Yeah, because I mean, like, okay, like, say, like, let me ask you from a fashion standpoint, and I and I'm not one to be fashionable. I wear black and jeans, so I mean, <laughs> like, so so say you had this in your wardrobe, right? And, and fellas, listen up to this, and ladies, I'm sure you probably are gonna agree or even have more ideas after that, but. Um, like, what do you wear with a kit that looks like that? Like, exactly how does how does this go down? See, since there's no, I believe from what I'm looking at, there's no kind of like, um, like brand to it. Like, it's no Nike or Adidas or Puma. Like, it's just the shield and the print. You can basically pair it with any pair of white shoes, and then you can some blue jeans or black jeans, and then the jersey, and then for the girls. If you want to be more comfortable, you can do the jersey, have an oversized look, and have a pair of leggings and, like, a pair of the combat boots or a pair of sneakers as well. It just really fits in because it also helps that there's no brand to it, so you don't have, like, a pair of Adidas with the, with the Puma shirt or something like that. Okay, okay. You know, I feel like I got some, some fashion tips, so... uh so take take a guy like Raphael, right? You know his personal style, obviously. You know, um, how, what is Raphael? How is he gonna? What kind of accessories is Raphael gonna rock with that? Like, cause I mean, I, I could imagine you don't want to get too crazy with with yellow and black accessories. Oh yeah, no, he'll end up probably if he does get it, he'll get like he'll wear with a pair of regular blue jeans and his shoes. Um, he just got some white Adidas, so you know, it's white Adidas with the regular three black stripes, and that I'll pull it off just, just right. Okay, okay, all right. You know that sounds that sounds pretty good. So, uh, you know, by the time you hear this, you know, maybe if you're smart, you just go ahead and go to the Somos Unidos Fest with everything else on. <laughs> you could just basically put on uh you know to put on the top that alicia is talking about and um and then you be straight you know and ladies i'm sure you already got it figured out so um okay all right so then let's talk more about somos unidos fest uh of course we know it's going to be in santa fe it's going to be at the motorama drive through we know that um because balloon fiesta was booked up um that you know, it wasn't an option to have it closer. Um, what are some of the things that you've heard about Somos Unidos Fest that you're, that you're uh, excited about? Um, I saw that, you know, Pepsi being a sponsor is going to give out free drinks to everyone, which I thought was really cool about them to do that. And also the, I believe they're having like the big soccer ball dart thing where I think they're having that. Yeah, it's like the what is it like human? It's like the the soccer darts, right? More or less. Yeah. And then the, the it's like an inflatable. It's like super mm -hmm. tall. I'm not sure how how tall it is in the sky, but I I've seen them and they're pretty cool. Yeah, and then they're also having a music fest at the same time. Since the gates do open at two p.m., you'll get to hear you know local musicians from New Mexico and. You know, it's going to be a great way to check it out and just to check them out in general. And they're going to be excited as well, too. Yeah, I I think it's cool um, that they can kind of create their own fests. And I mean, apparently 
the drive-throughs really were a big deal. Um, did you get to go to the one? Um, oh, you didn't go to the one last time because you were in El Paso at the match, right? Yes, I was at the match at, at the El Paso game, which was. I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to hear about that. Like, so tell me about. Because um, I mean, I know this is a. You know, if you're listening to this, this is a couple matches ago, but I, I still wanted to know. Um, you know how that all went down. You know, like uh, tell, tell us a little about your time out in El Paso. You know, I saw a lot more United fans than I expected to see at first when I was going down to the stadium it's like in the downtown kind of the downtown area and like closed in and i just saw a lot of el paso jerseys and then the flags and stuff and i was like should i wear my jersey like at this point i started getting kind of nervous but then we parked and we look back and then there's like 10 people of 10 United fans walking to the stadium. Actually a better turnout than I thought it would be. Okay. And then so um, when I, when I, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I was, I was interrupted. Go ahead. You're good. And then, so we go to the ticket gate and they take our temperatures. They ask us these questions and, as I'm walking through the security, the 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 ticket guy, he was like, you're wearing the wrong jersey tonight. And I was like, excuse me? No, I'm not. He's like, you guys are going to lose. And I'm like, do you want to bet $10 right now? And he's like, no, it's going to be a good game. So then that was pretty much it. But El Paso fans, they were actually... They were they were really nice. Um, they welcomed us to the stadium. They said thank you for coming. And at the end of the game, um, El Paso fans came up to us and they were like, "Good game, thank you for coming. You guys did great." I, I it was a complete like opposite experience of what I was thinking what I was gonna get. I thought okay. I was gonna you know like rude fans. They're telling us off. It's like rivalries and such, but. Everyone was was nice. And then we had, of course, El Paso fans sitting behind us. And we were the only United fans in the section. And, of course, we're yelling at the opposite, that, that they're yelling. But you know, everyone was really nice to us. And I was really surprised about that. That's cool. Do you think that the experience was pleasant um, <laughs> because, like, because the – because the series with El Paso has been pretty even, like throughout the entire time. Like, what do you think, mate? Like, I mean, because I totally feel you. Like, when you roll into the rival stadium, you're expecting things to be pretty crazy. But for the most part, anything that goes down like that is is almost very isolated and doesn't represent the whole experience. So, like, do you do you think that everything was like that because like people kind of saw New Mexico as like a really good team coming to their stadium. And then also because of the result itself. Yeah, definitely. And then you could tell that at the beginning too, like people were just in their seats and watching the team warm up and, you know, of course um, our team went into the locker room to change into their jerseys. And, you know, it's like, it like kind of like a 
kind of like a sour moment for them because they started booing. And then, of course, here I am standing up cheering them on. And I'm like, good luck. You guys can do this and this and that. And everyone's just kind of like looking at me. I'm in my bright yellow jersey. I stand out from the crowd. But everyone was, you know, kind of, it was respectful. They didn't tell like anyone off. Of course, there was some calls where you're yelling and you disagree with that. But it was toward like, the rest or the game it wasn't toward any of the fans and that's what I kind of enjoyed because that rivalry was in the game and it's not between the fans it's we're not fighting with each other or starting fights and like that right now you said that when you went in like they took your temperature what was that like because I haven't been anywhere where anyone's held up like a temperature gun to my head or anything so like like because you know when we went to Colorado we didn't obviously have that experience so I mean what was that like um, and from what your observation was like, and of course, like going through the line yourself. Yeah. So on the steps, right before you go through security, uh, they ask you if you've been exposed to anyone with COVID-19, if you have any symptoms and obviously you answer no, no, like everything's fine. And then they they tell you, uh, put your forearm, forearm out. So they take your temperature on your forearm and not on your forehead. Okay. So they take it on your forearm, not on your forehead. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that that's how that went down. Um, and then, okay, so then you get in and, like, I mean, how do they do things like concessions? Do they have like hand stations for like cleanser or anything like that? Yeah, and kind of aside from the whole COVID thing, as soon as you walk in through the gate, there they have the drums and they're cheering to walk in. As soon as you walk in, they have the sanitizing stations, they have the stickers on the floor. Like Everything is really, really well done, and especially how they have, you know, security and employees all around the stadium making sure that you're wearing your masks. So it's it's very safe the way they, they do it at the stadium. Okay, and then, um, and I, I I may have missed it. Um, like, did you guys get concessions or anything, like the food and drink and all that? Yeah, we did. It I, I don't know if all of them were not open, but from what Raphael was telling me, he said that some of them were open, but they didn't really have a lot of options. Like, I believe it was only, like, the Peter Piper pizza, and then we only got hot dogs. And from what I heard, there's they also uh, sell, I guess, the burgers and the fries. Okay. But it, the they do have pretty good combos, I guess. They comes with everything with the with the side and the drinks, so you don't buy anything separate. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I wondered how that was, and um, you know, because it's like you know, obviously we haven't been able to experience, you know, any any events here in New Mexico, and so, you know, and and the one thing we got in Colorado was kind of like a you know like obviously it was our our event i didn't walk around too much to really get to experience what that was like but i wanted to know what it's like in a place where like they've been really doing it you know yeah yeah they 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 did a really great job too and also um rafael when he went to go get a drink he actually got a beer from marvel brewery and that one he said 
within the first like 15 minutes of the game is sold out. I guess it's really popular over there. It's just the Mexican Lager that they have. And it's a really, really popular one. And he had to go to about three or four different stands to try to get one. Oh, dang. Is it the, um, it's not the, I have one here at the house. But it's called the, it's called a cholo stout. It's not that one, is it? No, it's not. It's it's different. And he's been trying to find it here, and he can't find it. Okay, okay, nice. That's cool. Um, and then I guess my other my other question for you would be: so having been at the Colorado match, where it was like, okay, it's all United fans, right? There was no rival fans, and then being at this match where obviously it was majority was the home crowd like what what was you what are the two experiences like for you it was very very different because at the colorado one it was like a home match like you're with everyone that you know you're comfortable and you're just doing what the curse does they're right there with you and at the El Paso match it was very different you do kind of feel like an outsider and luckily for me where I was sitting um it was right by the is right by home base behind the net next to the supporters uh section I was like two sections down from them but up top I up to my right there's suites and there was a a United suite with a bunch of fans there. And then also to my left, there was fans in another section over there. So, you know, like we would hear them chat up at the top and then like we'd repeat with them so they wouldn't feel alone. But it still kind of felt, you know, weird because it's only like 15, 20 fans going compared to our, you know, our thousand that we have. And it's and like I said, everyone's just looking at you like, like oh, you're our rival. Like you can't be here. Like we're <laughs> gonna win. But you know, it's like a it's an experience that everyone I feel like needs to experience because it's not the same as being as in a home game. But it's like you're comfortable but not comfortable. I don't know if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I totally do. Um, I was. I was, was, I've been working on a piece a little bit and I was thinking to myself that like, you know, have you ever been to like a bar, like where everyone likes the team that you like? So like you go in to watch the game and it's like, there's like not one person in the bar that doesn't like you're a 49ers fan and you go into like Wingstop and everyone in there, or I'm sorry, not Wingstop, like Buffalo Wild Wings and everyone is a 49ers fan fan through and through the building and Mm -hmm. it feels like hosting your own party because there's not one person who's against you but then and so that's kind of the experience and if your team wins it's like okay cool whatever but and then when your team loses i guess it's kind of cool because of the camaraderie aspect Mm -hmm. but it never fails that there's always one person in the room who happens to be like you know like a 49ers or a Cowboys fan and <laughs> you know what I mean and like yeah. they're cheering they're cheering against your team and somehow during the moment like like your team is losing to that team and you're like damn it dude but like it's still cool because 
ultimately when it comes to competition you want to win and if there's one person in the room that's cheering for the other team it's kind of cool to kind of have sort of a mini rivalry or mini like you know battle for that time do you know what i mean yeah yeah i do and it's it was kind of like that you know when the refs would call you know give El Paso a yellow card for example like I would clap and I'd be like thank you you finally made a right call they're over here dragging us and you haven't done anything and then like and you could hear the El Paso fans like really put that card away they don't deserve it and I'm like it's just it's the game and and it was just something that I really enjoyed and hopefully we can you know we could do that here soon again Right on. You know, I'm kicking myself now because I totally spaced it. Like, I I probably, I don't think I thought it was just you. I, th- I think I spaced it because I totally probably should have thought about getting you, like, a couple media passes. <laughs> <laughs> because you were going, like, you would have had a little bit more access, you know, to um, – you would have probably sat a little bit lower, probably more field level. But um, dang, man, I totally didn't even connect the dots on that one because, <laughs> like, you know, typically I think about it when I'm going somewhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but it was fun. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, I kind of, we're going to get into this, but I kind of don't want Apostle to win against Tulsa. I'd rather we play Tulsa when we beat San Antonio, but – if if it comes to that and we have to play El Paso, oh, I'm going. Uh, yeah, I have to go. I have to go again. It's so much fun. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm t- we'll get into it. But I totally am right there with you. Um, so then, kind of transitioning out of that, um, but still talking about away trips. We talk. Let's let's kind of jump a little bit into the real Monarchs match. Um, so real monarchs, uh, New Mexico United play for obviously the fourth time, you know, the only team that we've actually like so far won all the matches that we played against them. Um, this would be the fourth match and, um, going into the match, I wondered if we would see Troy there. Uh, coach, head coach Troy Lassane. I wondered if he would be there only because he was at the El Paso match. I didn't know, like, you know, hey, maybe his, you know, his child would have been born by then or not. Um, but to my surprise, uh, Troy was not there. It was Zach Prince again. And the lineup was what I would call the depth lineup is what I've come to call it. Like, because it's probably not necessarily fair or accurate to be like, oh, well, this is the lineup where you rest all the star players. You know what I mean? It's it's more like this is our depth lineup. This is, you know, another version of the starting 11. And I think it's fair to say that because a lot of those guys on the, the field are part of, you know, they're, they're used so, so much. So those two things considered, Zach Prince back for his second match, and, you know, more of a, a uh, depth lineup. 
Uh, what was your your kind of your pre-match um, thoughts? Um, I had the same thoughts as you if we were going to see Troy out there. And when I saw Zach out there and I was like, you know what? I kind of feel okay with this because um, I'm very sure we can win this. We can go 4-0 with Real Monarchs this season. And with the and then seeing the lineup and I'm like, oh, we played this lineup already and it was a piece of cake. But then when I saw Real Monarchs lineup and I saw that Jack Blake wasn't on there or Coffee or Tyler uh, Taylor Pay, I was kind of concerned and I realized like, oh, these are the Academy players. And the Academy players, they can bring game and they're young, they're quick, and they probably have way better chemistry than, you know, the Round Monarchs themselves because they've been in the academy for so long, they know each other, and they know how to talk to each other. So it was kind of scary at that point. But then after seeing how the game was going, there was some scary um, opportunities for the Round Monarchs. But once as soon as we kind of got the groove going in about, like, the, I believe it was, like, the 20th minute, where we kind of started kind of falling into place. Everything was going better. And from there, I didn't really worry. And I felt that if Troy needed to miss a game, it would have to be this one and not either trying to win Group C or um, the playoff match. Yeah, so interesting enough, we needed to win this match. And we also needed... Or wait, we needed to win this match, right? That was that was a part of things. Um, United needed to win against Real Monarchs, but for Group C to be a factor, yes. And then we needed we needed uh, uh, Tulsa to win or Austin to lose, and El Paso to lose the following week. So this week was strictly for us to keep winning to keep our hopes alive for for uh, Group C to be a possibility for us. So like you're saying, these were the academy players on the back line, and there was so much energy for these kids. Um, one of the interesting matchups I thought about or that I enjoyed watching that day um, was uh, Daniel Bruce – and um, blanking on his name, Daniel. Dan, I didn't even realize that Daniel Flores and Daniel Bruce. Um, that was an interesting matchup in this one. Um, if you remember, uh, they very much got tangled up with each other through the, most of the match, and. Uh, they both got yellow cards, but essentially maybe some who watched the match felt like Flores maybe should have gotten a red card, you know, somewhere through the early early part of the first half. Uh, what what did you think about that matchup between the two Daniels? I thought it was kind of interesting because there was a play where um, Bruce was going up the side, and then he uh, goes and crosses it in, 
and it goes to Suggs. Suggs takes a shot, and and then it barely deflects off of the goalie, and the goalie manages to save it. I thought that was a really good play by Daniel Bruce because he was getting tangled. He was getting tangled up with Daniel Bruce on the ground. Right. Yeah. Well, and 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 along those lines, I thought about early in the match when Flores cleared like David Estrada's clock, like totally like him and another player just sent Estrada to the ground. And then Daniel Bruce like runs over really quick and just like leg sweeps um, Flores. And that was like the beginning of, of that sort of battle. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it, and I, and I wonder like if the young, the young Daniel Flores is like, nah, dude, like you're not going to sweep me. I mean, Daniel Bruce is not wasn't that much older than this kid, probably. Like, I mean, you know, Daniel Bruce is in his early twenties, you know. But you know, there's a, there's a little bit of that feist there, you know. And and um, I just thought it, it was it was entertaining to watch. But the other matchup that was also entertaining to watch was Kalen Ryden, and um, and was it uh, was Kalen Ryden, and it was Nicholas Bellini. And you remember Nicholas Bellini. He was one of the forwards for Real Monarchs. He was kind of a shorter build, but he had a lot of speed. And he could easily keep up with Kalen Ryden, if not even pass him up on some of the balls that they were playing. What What did you remember about that matchup? Like, was that maybe one that you were kind of entertained by as well or – yeah, I was entertained by that one, too, because they kept trying to use him and kind of cross the middle, and then there was plays where he tried to actually dribble past Kalen, but it Kalen would kind of get to it first. But, man, he, Bellini is really, really quick on his feet, and as soon as the play is, like, with the set pieces or the corner kicks as soon as that ball went into play he was gone in somewhere else and you really had to watch him right so um coming into this match like who did you like who are you thinking were going to be goal scorers once you saw like a different lineup than what we kind of had previewed the pre- you know before the last time we talked for our team, um, the goal scorers I kind of figured would be when I saw the lineup would be Jody and um, and honestly that was it because as much as I wanted Romeo to get a goal, it, he just hasn't really been finishing his chances and it's just something that I know it's gonna come but I just feel like right now it's just it's not the time okay yeah I mean I, I agree with you like I thought like Romeo was gonna have like some opportunities to really open up in this match and um, you know I was definitely surprised um so we go through the first half of this match and there's not really 
there's not really a score, right? Like, I mean, first half, like we had some, definitely some chances on the day it looked like, um, but we end up going to the half. It's nil-nil. Um, kind of, I guess, like, just to kind of get your take on it, like, how did you think United played the first half? Like, do you think that, I mean, like, what? how would you rate it, I guess? Um, I would rate it like a 6.5, kind of 7-ish out of 10. It's just how we kind of played that first half. It could have been stronger, and it took us about, you know, kind of 20 minutes, 25 minutes to get into, the like, the mix of things and to kind of get it going. So that's why it's it's kind of high because we did kind of execute some moments, but then again, it's low because it's we should do better, and I know they can do better because we've seen them do better. It, it kind of seems like I was just looking at it like, again, like, Daniel Bruce got a yellow card in, like, the 28th minute. Kaylin Ryan got a yellow card in the 45th minute. If I can jog your memory about Daniel Bruce, Flores um, and him, obviously, were, were very engaged. And we thought maybe Flores would get a red, but the ref said play on. You know, I wonder if the ref was like, you know, this is a young kid. I'm not going to maybe card him as easily uh, because of the fact that he's like, you know, you know, he's he's not a pro, you know, and so the ref kind of let the play go a little bit, but he had he couldn't do the same for Bruce as much. But watching it, I was like, okay. Daniel Bruce is an aggressive defensive player. Like, is Bruce going to get a red or is Bruce going to have to be subbed out before the first period because, you know, he's already on a caution. And then, and then Kalen Ryden getting a yellow card at 45. And if you remember Kalen Ryden, Kalen Ryden and Bellini were like, were like running the distance of the pitch, you know, to try to, to try to get to the ball and Ryden, just happened to get him in such a way that Bellini like was fouled. Um, initially, my concern is that we were going to lose some of our um, our key pieces early in the match just because these young academy guys were, you know, kind of feisty. Well, and so the other thing is. Uh, so going into the second half, we see Joris Alenvi uh, get a score. Um, he heads it in. Uh, you know, Josh Suggs gets the assist. Do you kind of remember the buildup of this goal? And what were you thinking when you saw it uh, happen? Um, I remember the buildup going where I guess they called a foul. And they weren't sure if they were going to call the goal or the foul, but they did end up calling the goal. But 
you know, kind of, like, brushed off the foul. And I was like, well, what happened? Like, why did you change your mind? Right. Yeah, like, I, I remember, like, I remember thinking to myself, um, uh, I remember thinking, like, before the match, like, you know, I think Joyce Lindsay is going to have a, a good day today. And I remember um, in seeing how this went, like, along your lines, like you said, like, the calling off the foul, um, that, you know, Suggs, again, was in a position to ultimately cut cut an assist. Um, you know, the the goal itself, I thought, was a good one, though it seemed like Al Envy definitely, like, absorbed a lot of the shot. So I went back and I rewatched the goal. Um, I believe it was Kalen Ryden that boots a long pass out to Josh Suggs. Suggs goes on a run and is able to trap the ball and takes it in towards the goalkeeper. Um, the goalkeeper is then uh, essentially approaching Suggs. Suggs goes and chips it above the goalkeeper and Joris plays the ball on still because it's like he's level with two defenders and he splits the defenders and heads the ball in. So definitely not a very average goal the way it was executed, but you have to give it up to Josh Suggs for ultimately having the instinct to try to get the ball above the goalkeeper. Yeah, that was it. Was a really smart play on Suggs too, and um, you know, and it just it worked out really, really well. And I honestly didn't see it coming. I honest, at that point, it was kind of hard for us to get a goal, and it it was really good. So United goes up one nil, and for the most part, um, through the match, uh, like I didn't really. I mean, I I know that that the Monarchs, like, had other attempts. Like, so we get that goal scored um, in, in the 56th minute, and then much of the rest of the match is just United trying to hold this lead. Um, substitutions start to be made uh, by us uh, pretty much at, like, the 74th minute. So it looks like United has a pretty good defensive hold on the match, though they were not really able to get another goal. Um, I personally felt like I didn't think Zach Prince needed to use the subs, but, I mean, it's, it's smart to rest them, but I just didn't think that he needed to use them because I thought United was in control of the match. Yeah, I I thought the same too that everything was going fine and there was no need for him to mess up what was going on on the field on um, unless he was you know starting to get worried of how someone was playing with already a yellow card but other than that there was really no need for subs. Right. Well, and I mean if you're if you're a coach assistant coach getting your second start and your depth lineup got you a one nil lead and you're moving into like 
15 minutes left into the match. I mean, how comfortable how how comfortable are you or how how sorry uh reassured are you when you come in and sub in Devin Sandoval, Amando Moreno, and like Austin Yearwood all like within like you know the next like the the next like few minutes. I mean those are like powerful subs to be putting into a match around like the the mid seventy to early eightieth minute. At that point I felt you know, you're kind of trying, instead of being 1-0, at least try to make it 2 or 3 if you're starting, you know, if you know you have it. And also, if you see the Real Monarchs getting dangerous, you need to put more up there. They don't try to catch up because, you know, at the end of the night, it was a big game for us to try and win group C. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on 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 the night, so New Mexico wins this match 1-0, as we all know. Um, on, on the night, though, there are some interesting stats that I wanted to kind of kind of put out there. Um, United had 64% of possession, and that kind of seemed like a bit of a norm going out into the real out into Salt Lake. Um, possession has been a story. Uh, for these two teams, you know, where one had it more. So United had the ball a little bit more. Um, kind of concerned with having a 60% possession rate and not getting a second goal, um, especially because we typically average, like, we're slated to average 1.8. We, like, barely got this first one, and we weren't very close to the second one. That kind of concerns me a little bit. Um, about about this matchup. I, I, you know, I don't know about that because even though we were kind of getting most of the possession, it still felt like at sometimes it was kind of like kickball. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the recent games, it, it just seems to bounce off of us to the other team or – like, we kind of trip, and then the other team gets it. And it's like, you know, like, what, what are you doing? Like, don't you know how to control a pass? Yeah, I mean, if you, like, looking at the stats on FOTMOB, like the app, like, United just dominated the day, you know? And really, it just came down to, like, we just could not seem to finish and that's kind of a lot of what you've been saying is like united just was not able to finish like we we had almost we had we had just short of 500 passes that were accurate they had 245 like i feel like we were playing like it was like united was playing like maybe like the the league one equivalent of a team and we did so many things right that day. We had 84% pass success. Um, we had uh, we had 10 shots with three on target. So that was kind of about what United does. And I mean, we, we won a lot of our duels. There were a lot of duels where United won. A lot of those things that were happening. And, you know, it just, it just, 
seems like a match like that, we should have been able to easily put in at least another goal. And I guess my my thought is like, okay, that that was a final match for us. That's kind of how we close out the season and we're getting ready to go into playoffs. Like, regardless of who we were to play next, like some of these other teams are easily scoring more goals than one. Oh yeah, and it's something that I've that I've said before where if we want to win and make it far, we need to keep putting up more goals because if we make it to the ends of the playoffs, if we're looking at the uh, the sem- the Western Conference semifinal or the final, you know, it's going to be we're going to be playing teams like against Rito or Phoenix where they put at least they average about what, maybe four goals a game. And while we only put in one or two, maybe three if we're lucky and it's just not going to work. And we need to put up more because if you look at these other teams, like you were saying, uh, like I was saying with Reno, they put up seven goals against the Portland Timbers. And it's just, and then El Paso too, they just put up four goals against um, Real Monarchs. And it's, and Phoenix, I believe, put up four goals against LA Galaxy. And in the end, it's going to come down to the goals because they're going to keep going and going and going and going, and it's just going to be nonstop. Right, right. Definitely that is a point that we'll get into. Um, so final thoughts about this Real Monarchs 1-0 win. Um, I point I put here it was Zach Prince's first win. Um, personally, um, this is just my own personal gripe, but um, I could actually hear Zach Prince this time on the sideline. He was – certainly chirping a lot louder maybe it was just because he was a lot closer to the mic but i definitely felt like you know this this coaching performance versus maybe his last time out um very much very different i thought that the team played a lot more responsive you know so maybe it wasn't necessarily him as much but the team didn't seem like slouches, you know, and what I mean by that for those who are listening is there's a difference in the team when they come out and play and they are um, executing uh, like space. They are pressing opponents like they are not giving teams like any any space on the pitch to really kind of have the freedom like the team plays up. And I felt like they played, they played higher than this team. They played like they were playing an El Paso team where they needed to be a little bit more exact, a little bit more crisp. I felt like I saw that this time. And, you know, when I saw them play against Colorado Springs, they did not show that sort of discipline. They were a little bit more lax, you know, they didn't seem like anyone was sort of cracking a whip. It was a big difference. Um, so I felt like they were far more disciplined uh, in this match. 
Um, and I think that that's why they were able to easily control the rest of it. Um, so kind of my final thought on the series is like, okay, it was great that they, they swept the Monarchs. They got a four, they got, they won all four matches. I thought that that was great. This is the defending champion. They really didn't have a chance to kind of, you know, come back or, or, you know, steal a win like other, the other teams have done. Um, but I'm not ranking the sweep very high up in our accomplishments only because it seems like such a different Real Monarchs team. And, I mean, this is like beating the Chicago Bulls in the NBA when they, like, aren't as good anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, or like the Lakers beating the Clippers, right? Oh, look at that. You just kind of <laughs> threw that in there. Oh, that sucks. It's yeah, it's it, it would be like the Lakers beating the Clippers during the regular season because the Clippers traded all their good players away. That's what it would be like. <laughs> yeah, no, I I get it. But you know, kind of last thoughts too on going into the playoffs. I personally felt that as much as it would have been nice to win Group C, I wouldn't have wanted it because we would have played on Tuesday and it would only give Thursday, Friday, three days of rest for the guys. And that's something that wasn't like wouldn't be kind of ideal for us. You know, it's better to get the eight days of the rest and be prepared for San Antonio because we know San Antonio is a really strong team, which we are going to get into talking to them. But yeah, let's... And it's just better for me that we didn't end up winning the group. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe next season, um, it, the, hopefully there's no more groups and everything goes back to normal. But we end up at the top of the table and we don't have to get, go into like a play-in game to try to clinch playoffs. Yeah, I think that. Look, I think you you captured it right. I mean, it's kind of a bummer to think that like two years, two different formats, and each year we couldn't, you know, kind of get like we couldn't win one or the other. Um, you know, and next year if it goes back to that regular format from last year, you hope that you can definitely finish better, like you were saying, because. You know, I mean, that that's what we're still after, you know. But you, you never want your rivals to, like, have another piece of hardware, right? And now El Paso has this group trophy that they created uh, by the USL. So it's, you know, one more piece of something to banter with us about. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the tough part about it, too. Like, being a rival, of course, you don't want them win, winning the group, and we wanted to do it, but... You kind of have to take a step back from that and look at how it's going to benefit us benefit us in the end because, um, like I said at the very beginning of the season, these games, they, of course, like it's little points racking up, but in the end, they're going to make a difference. And right now, it's the same thing. It was kind of like a blessing in disguise because what if someone could have gotten hurt on Tuesday? 
we wouldn't know that and we wouldn't have that player for Saturday. So, you know, you just have to take a step back and look at it as in like, hey, you know, this is kind of a good idea. Let them have their little um, celebration because, you know, it's not going to last for long. Right. So then kind of going into um, our next thing, um, let, let's kind of let's kind of switch gears into something that happened last week. I mean, I, I know that you were you wanted to talk about it. I know that we wanted to, to talk about it. We try not to, you know, beat it into into try not to beat it into what do they say? Beat a dead horse, so to say. Um, obviously, we want we want to talk about uh, the things that have happened between San Diego Loyal and Phoenix Rising, and we're really coming at it from, you know being a fan base, you know, or, you know, even, you know, you know, kind of being outside of the bubble, but, you know, uh, Alicia, I know that you, you really wanted to, to talk about it. So like, do you want to kick us off on like the things that <coughs> kind of have transpired and a little bit of your, your take on the situation and, and, you know, let's go from there. Yeah. So I know, um, it's kind of been everywhere right now, wherever you follow the USL. And, um, you know, kind of just to have, like, a little recap of the moment. Um, San Diego Loyal was playing against Phoenix Rising, um, I believe it was two weeks ago. And, um, th- and the week before, just kind of have, like, a backstory to this, there was a racial slur, slur said to Elijah Martin at the, LA, at the Los Dos match. And they kind of resolved that kind of fairly quickly, but it wasn't brought to the attention until after the match in the 70th minute. So during the game against San Diego Loyal and Phoenix Rising, they planned to do this whole banner thing, you know, um, the justice and, you know, the Black Lives Matter. Um, But they didn't get to that, unfortunately, because something else happened that, was not right. It was kind of hypocritical that they were doing it. Well, I don't want to say they. It was one player. And that player said a homophobic slur to an openly gay player from San Diego Loyal, Colin Martin, number 17 defender. And it kind of got out of control in the extra time of the first half. And there was a foul. And Colin Martin was given a red because the ref thought that he was calling that slur to that player, but Colin Martin was not doing that. He said, did you really call me that phrase? And he went to explain it, and then Landon got on the field, and it, the way you look at the camera, it just, or the the footage, it really makes me upset because then they zoom in to... Landon and um, Rick Schnatz from the head coach from Phoenix Rising, and Rick says, you know, it's just a game. They're competing, and Landon is like, seriously, your player called me that. You know what that means, and they were starting kind of to backtrack Phoenix and that he never said anything and defended it right away. And I'm like, seriously, that's just something. It needs to be taken out of the game. And the way San Diego Loyal 
decided to, you know, take a knee and walk off of the field, it's so brave of them to do that, to forfeit the match. And keep this in mind, they were leading 3-1 at halftime. They were they were beating Phoenix, and Phoenix was obviously not happy about it. And because they did that, they also lost a playoff playoff chance. That was the game to determine if they were going to make it to playoffs or not. So it was very, very brave of them to do that. And I am happy that they did that because they have this little saying that I will speak to I will speak, I will act, and they did exactly what their club um, is trying to put out there. They're standing up for what they believe in, and they didn't stay quiet, even though it risked chances of going into the playoffs, being an inaugural team, being it was going to be their very first time in playoffs, and I just really applaud them for doing that. Yeah, so that's, that's a very good recap. Um of what went down and so you know to to put it into perspective um after the fact as we all kind of armchair the experience and look onto it you know we didn't understand why rick shots didn't take out uh the the players junior flemings why he didn't take out Junior Flemings um, from you know of Phoenix Rising, uh, you know as Landon kind of phrased it, he was like, "Look, you could take the player out, and we'll continue playing, um, or we're gonna leave because there's just no way play was gonna continue with the player who said that that homophobic slur." Rick Shantz in the moment says, "I'm not taking him out," so Landon says, "Okay, well we're gonna talk and." You know, it says, okay, I guess we're, we're going to be out. And it's a very dramatic thing that you see. It's it's San Diego loyal and the referees leaving the pitch. Like, that was an interesting thing to me that the referees were, like, right there, too. Like, they were, like, they were out of there. Like, there was no – they weren't waiting around or anything. And, you know, so here's this scene where it's just uh, the Phoenix team, technical staff, just kind of like, wow, they're just gone. And, you know, having some friends at the match, having Alan and Marissa there from uh, from Fairweather Pod, they said it was just like, it was just, just all of a sudden, it was just like, Phoenix was like, okay, we'll take the points. And, you know, and, you know, I, I just imagine like, you know, just mouths hit the floor that that just happened. But, um, so moving forward, you know, obviously if you're a connoisseur of Twitter, you know, Twitter was a hot place that night. Twitter was a hot place. You know, Facebook kind of heard about it and became kind of a hot place too. But ultimately everyone was like, no, you know, this this became a national news story on so many networks and so many different um, celebrity type personalities heard about it. Up all the way up to Megan Rapino, mm-hmm. uh, who you know definitely shared her two cents on it. Um, everyone applauded Landon Donovan for you know definitely standing up for the right thing, and most people realized that there was no way the team was conspiring because they were up three one, so there was no reason for them 
to feel that they needed some relief in the match. And, you know, there was a mixed bag of emotions, as we know. Some people felt like they should just have finished it out on the pitch. And other people are glad that they walked off because that's what they professed to do the week before. So it got to the point where uh, where Rick Schantz was then putting out little statements about what had happened, and it really just seemed like it didn't match up with what had happened, and there was some backtracking. Meanwhile, Junior Flemings just went like cold on media, and they both were definitely, I would say, stalked like through media as far as like, you know, all the comments that were coming out. Everyone was, I mean, people from all fan bases, all all sports, probably even people who probably didn't even watch soccer that just heard about it and just saw like what was wrong with the situation. And it got to the point where Phoenix finally gave statements said that they were going to put both player, both junior Flemings on leave and put Rick Schantz um, on leave as well. And then the USL was going to do an investigation. Yeah. And you know, with those statements, um, if you kind of caught them before they were deleted, um, Junior Flemings did state that it was false and he never said anything. And also with them being on administrative leave, it was with Rick Schantz, it was an unrelated, un, not related to the investigation, not related to what was going on. So it's like, well, what's going on here? Like something's not adding up. Right. And so it hit us differently that Flemings would come out so quick and basically like blame shift San Diego's organization for such quick action. And then Rick Schantz would, he would be placed on leave for statements that he made on camera saying like, uh, it's part of the game. He said, uh, he said, it's not racism. It's homophobia. Um, and he's like, they're competing. And it's like, but wait, it's, you know what it is and it's still wrong. Like, and he did, he made it seem like it was a part of the match and, you know, they're, they're playing and, you know, and, and that's where you, you kind of saw like, Hey, we have a bigger problem here. And so, um, so we had two experiences. We have Junior Flemings go cold on social media and not say anything. And I think really up until a couple of days ago, uh, he at some point deleted his Twitter account. So he's, he deleted it or at least like, you know, deactivated it for the time. Um, and then Rick Schantz has just been in the media almost every couple of days trying to say something, trying to explain himself. Um, so, then the USL conducts an investigation and the USL comes back. We didn't hear anything for the match Saturday, Saturday Phoenix played. Um, obviously Shantz and Flemings are nowhere around the match. They had a, a GM coach the match Phoenix won, And then, uh, so then on, I think it was Tuesday, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Tuesday that, the USL came out with their findings of the investigation. The USL determined that the homophobic slur was said on the field. 
but that it was not necessarily said directly to um to to Colin Martin they're saying that it definitely was used but it, they couldn't come out with a result that it was said directly to him despite everything that had been put out there that it was said to him and so the USL went forth with their six match uh, suspension and an undisclosed fine for Junior Flemings and that kind of resolved the investigation from that front and it just seemed like there there was still question on like well, it doesn't sound like he said it or that he said it to him or people were okay with the fact that he was saying it in general, but not, but, and then it just seemed like the internet just ate that up and just really kind of thought the USL kind of dropped the ball. Yeah. It, it kind of surprised me that they, the USL did do something, but then again, I'm still waiting to see what the team is going to do because if you read the article, it kind of says that, you know, that the team and the coaches and stuff, they were going to provide Flemings with the proper training so that he can reflect. And I'm like, wait a minute, Flemings contract is up this year. Does that mean they're going to sign him again? Because if they do, that's, it's just gonna look really, really bad on them. Right. And we're and we're coming from the standpoint that we had a player, you know, who violated Title Nine, you know, Manny Padilla, you know, was in a you know, he had a uh I mean there were I'm I'm a loss of words for the moment. Sorry. Uh but he he was obviously he had that matter with with with, with rape. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, and, and essentially we know it's wrong. I mean, we, you know, regardless of when it happened, it happened back when he was in college, you know, but the fact of the matter is that, you know, a woman was like, you know, this, this guy raped me, you know, and this resurfaced through, you know, a series of, uh, different, um, different activists, related sort of topics um, concerning the college, but it still came up that, you know, Manny Padilla was involved with it. You know, the team investigated, they sought out, uh, you know, all the records regarding it, you know, and the team had to make a conscious decision. The league really obviously wasn't involved with it. I'm sure the league was made aware of the situation so that it wasn't like anything that was going to get out of hand or, you know, be this like, secret in New Mexico that was happening, you know, when everyone learned about it, you know, and if you remember all fan bases, they were like, oh, this guy's got to go. Like, you can't keep him here. Like, you know, like believe the victim and all these things. So all these people were definitely on our doorstep too. You know, the team, you know, you know, did everything in house and they determined that they, you know, they suspended him first. Right. So that was the first thing they did while they were investigating and then they came back and they determined that they were going to release him from his contract, you know, and that's what they did. And that was the end of it, you know, and, you know, it wasn't this whole thing about, Hey, let's educate them on, on, on rape culture, mm-hmm. you know, or any of that sort of thing. Let's, let's educate him on, on, on this and why it's, it's not okay. And let's rehabilitate them back into the community. It wasn't any of that. It was, 
I'm sure they probably maybe gave their piece about it because it's not something he was actively doing currently to this day. You know, he obviously probably, you know, had gotten past that moment in his life. He just wasn't properly disciplined for it. And they still needed to be like, well, you still need to be disciplined for that. And I imagine something like Junior Fleming's saying a homophobic slur if he never comes out right if and this is what we're getting to if he never comes out and admits okay i said it right he just continues on like these next like couple of months go by he leaves the team still leaves with that same sort of attitude that i didn't do anything wrong or i said it but not to him whatever it is you know he's going to get back on a team in the USL at some point. And that team may have to deal with the fact that he never came out and admitted it or apologized. And it may be on his doorstep that he wasn't properly disciplined by Phoenix because Phoenix didn't technically, they put him on administrative leave. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking about too. Um, you know, you you have to be honest, too. He's a great player. Don't get me wrong. He's an amazing player. But if, let's say, we were to sign him, I it's just something I wouldn't be happy with because of what he did. And I know it, there's going to be people like, don't let your, the past define you. Everyone makes mistakes. He's learning from it. But I'm like, he never admitted it. And the fact that he's keeping quiet and he hasn't released his, you know, like, I apologize or, you know, what I said in the moment was this, wasn't this, this, and this. His silence is speaking louder. It's saying that he actually did it. And he feels like, you know what? I said it. It's whatever. It's going to blow over. And I don't care what people think. And that is just making him look worse. And if Phoenix does decide to sign him, it's going to be very, very weird because I feel like no one's going to want him there. And we don't know what the players said because we know that players put out statements and it's going to be super weird because they were probably statements against him and saying that you know we did hear him say that slur and maybe he's been like that all season it's something that we don't know as fans and only they know so you know it's just a player that kind of nobody wants right now and also with Manny and the league didn't get involved New Mexico United handled that very very well they put him on suspension right away. They let him go the contract, and he's not in, on a team right now. And basically, it was like, all right, bye, and that was it. We didn't hear from him. He also went kind of silent on social media, never put out a statement himself. It's also making him kind of look bad because if you look at it, it's been since, I believe, March? No like June, July, around those times. Yeah. And he hasn't been signed to a team. So that that says something when you're silent and you and people know you did something wrong, then you know that 
you don't care what happened because it was in the past. Right, exactly. And and again, even he will have to come out and issue a statement about that. Like, you know, the longer that he's silent about it, it's it's kind of like you're willing to accept what has happened. And with the team releasing you, like, you know, I think, you know, like, you know, any moment he could have been like, okay, like I need to go public. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure between us and anyone else, we would have probably ran that statement, you know, or covered it because obviously we cover all things regarding New Mexico. Yeah. So we would have ran it because it's, you know, especially it's, it's anything to do with it. It's, you know, someone's going to come out and obviously clear the air. Like we want to try to get that. Um, so anyways, uh, where we're at in the situation with Flemings is we've been hearing or we've been seeing like the clips from Bobby Dooley, the uh, GM uh, for Phoenix. So if you're not um, seeing the clips online, because, you know, there's so much out there, but we're just kind of catching you up. Uh, Bobby Dooley has been putting the clips out. He's been talking about, you know, um, Rick Schantz and he thinks that Rick Schantz is to have personal growth by seeking out leaders in the LGBTQ plus community is going to help him recognize his unconscious and conscious biases. Um, and, you know, they're going to obviously evaluate him to determine when he should return back to the team. Um, and then, you know, and then of course talking about Flemings and how he wants to uh, talk to Colin and he wants to apologize to San Diego, but he's, but he has yet to, give a statement. And my understanding is that initially when they were trying to reach him, that he disappeared, like, uh, and there's no source that's really reported this, like just happened to know someone who's like, you know, within their, the supporter base, they said that they couldn't get a hold of him. Like he, you know, I don't know if he wasn't answering any, any media or, you know, or any like text or whatever, but they just said it, it, it was kind of, weird for a minute, but it sounded like uh, that they were trying to track a statement. So right now we're thinking that the team is the organization is still trying to figure things out um, as far as what else to do. Um, I personally just didn't get any sort of assurance or I didn't feel very confident for them moving forward because it seems like they're not really trying to answer any definitives. Like Alicia was saying, they're not trying to terminate his contract. Like there hasn't even been an answer on whether or not they will or will not resign him. And it sounds like Chance is coming back, like when they're ready for him, whenever that could be. But ultimately, like, I mean, if you're looking for either person to be terminated and, and there to be some like swift justice, like I don't think it's coming. Yeah, no, I I don't think so. At this point, if the club doesn't do anything, I'm not going to be shocked about it because I know if they would have done something, it would have been done already. So. Well, and, and, and then just to kind of cap it off, like, like look, like Phoenix, their arrivals, you know, on the pitch – you know, off the pitch, I think 
where we're coming from is that we want the right thing to be done. And, you know, whereas we feel based on the culture that we have here, that the, the right thing would be to separate from each other, you know, at least because that shows how impactful or how serious it is of an offense. Um, we're not saying that second chances can't be had or given. We've seen them around the league. We've seen teams bring back players. We've seen even our own player, you know, uh, you know, commit an offense, be brought back by his former team. And then, you know, and then we grab them and folks thought, you know, and then folks are questioning our thing. And we're like, well, no, dude, this guy already did his time. So, I mean, you know, so we're not devoid of any of these thoughts, but to me, when Phoenix, okay, when uh, when Phoenix comes out and they're able to obviously address this properly, or we feel it's been, or you know, and I think everyone kind of feels that way. Like I think it's going to make all the the better difference in things, and we're going to be, um, we'll be happy about how it's handled and whatnot. Yeah, I I will be too, and it's just. I guess right now it's just the waiting game to see when Phoenix is going to do something. And because this, what happened is not right. And the fact that they also tried to say that Boyle was making it up, that it's just, you're digging your hole deeper and now you can't get out of it. You're trying to, it's like you're getting there, but you like, you keep falling back into that hole. So I, I don't know. I want something right to be done. I'm glad the league did something, but I want the team to do something and to be able to, you know, take um, the consequences for their actions. Right. Uh, so let's just take this last, like, I don't know, five minutes, five, ten minutes, and just talk specifically about this playoff match coming into the weekend. <coughs> um, you know, we spent, obviously, a little bit more time talking about some of the other things on this pod. We want to Try to keep the length. That's eh, about where it's at. Um, but let's let's talk real quick about San Antonio. So we're going we're going into this weekend's match, uh, Alicia. As you were kind of saying, um, you know, San Antonio is a team that you know they scored thirty three goals during the season, and most of their matches they're averaging about two to three points a game. Uh, so they obviously don't have an issue with scoring. Right, that was one thing you were talking about. They like to score. United is kind of eh, we we kind of average about one point eight goals a games, you know, and some of those goals are very hard fought to get initially. Um, so my question to you, Alicia, is: I mean, how do you think it goes down with a team like San Antonio that seems to have no issue scoring. However, it they were against teams in Group D. Um, going against a club in Group C like United, where United's kind of thing is they play up or down to, in matches, as we've noticed, and the ability to score is kind of wishy-washy. Oh, man, it's going to be scary because, as we know, El Paso did beat San Antonio, I believe. Yes. And um, we beat El Paso 
many times. They've only lost to us once. But it can be scary because knowing we can't, we're not really the goal-scoring team. And also our back line is still not strong as I would like it to be. It's going to be a lot of defense. And once we get the ball, it's going to have to be nothing but that offense. And, you know, as soon as we get those chances, it's finish, 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 finish. And it's just going to be scary because we know Christian Pirano is playing and he's uh, healthy. But I watched the last game and he wasn't really standing out to me as he kind of did last season. But he also has his moments where he's like a firework and he'll explode at sometimes and other times he's kind of quiet. So we don't know what kind of Christian Prano we're going to get. And hopefully it's not one of those where, you know, he explodes and he has an amazing night. Right. And as you're saying that, I think about when United played San Antonio last year mm-hmm. and San Antonio just – just waxed United. I believe the score was like five to one, or maybe just five zero, five nil. Yeah, no, it was five one, and, and we were down a man. Um, Solly ended up getting a red. Still clueless about what happened, but you know he got a red. Right. So we played the whole match, and and Pirano and and accompanying players just they seemed to find that far angle of the goal all night long on Cody. It was just. It was crazy. Um, along with Pirano that you've mentioned, they have a player called uh, named PC. Um, he's a Brazilian player, came from uh, MLS or Vancouver Whitecaps, um, that they really speak about. He's not really the goal-scoring player. He seems like he's more of the attacking mid who ultimately is able to create a lot of chances. And they also have a Jose Gallegos and, uh, of course, Cardoni, the – the beard um, sitting in their goal. And uh, so those are some standout players for San Antonio. Um, they do come out typically in a 3-5-2, sometimes a 4-4-2 um, as far as formation. Um, so, uh, I mean, the only other team we've really played with like a back three has been uh, OKC uh, for the most part. Um, what do you think about United playing against a team, another team with, with the back three, but this being San Antonio this time? Um, I kind of feel, you know, kind of confident that we're going to, that we're going to win this time against San Antonio and, you know, make it a little bit farther into playoffs than we did last season. And, you know, with the players we have, I believe, we we can do this, and with Kalen in the back, I know he's probably going to be, you know, coach is going to tell him, like, you know, watch Christian Pirano, stay on him, and don't let him out of your sight. So I think it's going to be a really, really good matchup. Yeah, th- this is definitely interesting because looking at some head-to-head stats with the teams, Whereas San Antonio averages like two goals a game and we're averaging about one and a half. They also don't typically concede more than a goal a match. And United is the same way. So it's kind of the same. I just, um, I know I, I kind of asked you this, 
but I guess let me ask you in a different way. Do you think that San Antonio playing teams in Group D, do you think that that handicaps them playing against United, or do you think that United's inconsistency of playing up or down against teams in Group C kind of like they don't like San Antonio doesn't know what United they're going to get that day. And like, is that, is that an advantage for San Antonio is like, what do you, what do you think about that? I think uh, not knowing what United they're going to get is going to be an advantage towards us because if they look at, you know, our game footage, you're going to be like, Oh, well maybe they're going to get this team and, it's going to not be that tough, but, and the players know it's playoffs. So, you know, they'll probably bring 110% and it's going to be a team where it's going to be constant going and it's not going to take 30 minutes to get into the groove of things and start making things happen. And it's going to be right from the beginning. Right. It sounds like we're going to have Troy Lassane there. Um, of course, like in this week's press conference, uh, their baby had been born. We, we have since now found out, I think, through Peter talking in the video earlier that they had a baby girl mm -hmm. uh, named, named Drew. So it sounds like from what Troy said earlier this week that, that he, was, he was going to be there. Um, you know, he was going to be at the match. So I think that that's definitely a plus uh, for the team, I do agree with you that not knowing which which United San Antonio is going to get is going to make for it very interesting. Um, uh, so, you know, obviously, um, for those listening, you know, I asked the question that Troy asked, what matches we should focus on as watching if you want to get an idea of what United might line up. He really kind of focused on the first two matches against Real Monarch, as well as the match against OKC. Um, I feel like there's a heavy leaning towards us being in a back three, but Troy said he also is not opposed to coming out in a 4-2-3-1 as well. Um, that being said, what formation are you hoping to see the team in with the team that has, you know, the ability to score goals. Do you think of that? Um, the formation, I think that's been working for us. I believe it's the three, four, three. So I'm hoping we kind of stick to that, not change it up and, you know, stick to what we know. And we know that with sticking to it and, you know, doing their best, they're going to execute. Okay, so we always typically get to this point. I know this is going to be extra hard to, to come with, but uh, let's talk scoring predictions. Oh, man. I'll go first because I always make you go first. Um, so we've talked about some things. I mean, it's kind of brief. Yes, uh, they'll I'll, there'll be a preview that comes out, so I'll try to address some of these other things in length uh, for you. But given given all that we've talked about on this match, the, the things that are out there are you don't know 
they don't know which United they're going to get. We know that San Antonio likes to score. We know that United, you know, has kind of, they kind of, it takes a while for us, for a goal to come, I guess the best way to put it. Um, well, we're in a match, Alicia, where there can't be a draw. <laughs> there can't be a draw, so we know there's not going to be that happening. Um, honestly, I'm going to go on a limb and say that there's going to be added extra time in this match. I don't want there to be, but I feel like because we cannot necessarily come out very consistent match-to-match and get scores and the finishing is an issue, that we go to added extra time. So there's 120 ma- minutes in this match. Um, so I hope we're subbing adequately so that we're not, you know, having guys run around for 110 minutes. Um, I feel like United's win in the match comes. I think we win the match. Um, and I'm not sounding Homer at all. I, I think it's a 2-1 victory, but I think that the second goal comes in added extra time. But I think that it's definitely a very defensive effort for us. Um, and I think the San Antonio gets hot late into the match, but I think that we're able to we're able to piece it together and, and come out with a 2-1 victory. You know, that's funny because that's exactly what I thought, too. It's going to be a 2-1 win in extra time. Um, we're going to end up tying at the second half. Or, yeah, at 1-1. And then in the extra time, that's when we're going to put up a goal and it just doesn't work out for them and we don't go to penalties. All right. Well, I mean, there you have it. You know, the short and sweet version. Again, I will put out a preview um, kind of talking about some of these areas in length. Uh, You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Uh, For Alicia and myself, Chris Walker, we're out of here. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie-cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.